0: All right, good morning, everybody. One more time. Good morning, everyone. There we go. Hey, uh, thanks for being at Faith today. If we haven't met, my name is Mike. I am one of the pastors on staff here. It's good to have you with us online. Good to have you with us in person today. Now, as as we get started, I want to hear some of those answers. Favorite games tag, what do we got? Laser tag. That, uh, no. <laughs> Laser tag. That's good. All right. So um, now I, I don't know how like worked in the world you grew up in. The world I grew up in was like pre-video games. And so like children went outside and they played and they did so collectively like in person. It's a strange thing from days of old. But um, what we do is like you'd have all neighborhood kids pile into somebody's backyard We'd decide which game we were going to play. And then once you decide which game of tag you were going to play, you had to decide what? Who's it? That's right. Who's it? And again, I don't know what kind of world you grew up in, but the world I grew up in, we had this strange ritual for deciding who was and wasn't it. All right? Everybody who's playing would get into a circle. They'd put a hand or a foot into the circle. And then the person in charge would begin to recite these bizarre rhymes to determine who was or wasn't it. Right, so, like bubblegum, bubblegum in a dish. How many pieces do you wish? Seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You're not it. Engine, engine number nine going down Chicago line. If the train jumps off the track, do you want your money back? Yes. Why, yes. You're not it. My personal favorite. My mother and your mother were hanging up clothes. My mother, pop your mother in the nose. What color was the blood? Purple, I don't know how to spell purple, but there you go, you're not it, right? Up top of my head, red, we go with something easy for the pastor, right? So one of the ones we used to sing out was, you know, Jack and Jill sitting in a tree, K-I-S-S-I-N-G, first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes baby in a baby carriage, Right? And that did a couple of things for us. It was a way in which we determined who was and wasn't it. And it also kind of just taught us about life and dating and love and marriage and family, right? And um, you could really, you know, you, you could fill that, those blanks in however you want to. But what we're going to do in this series is we're going to kind of use this as a launching pad as we talk about relationships. Because again, you can fill these blanks with whoever you want. You can fill these blanks with yourself if you want. So for me, it'd be Mike and Laura, sitting in a tree, kissing. Yeah, first comes love, and then comes marriage, and God bless my soul. Then comes the babies, right? And now for not for you guys. All right, so. <laughs> Newly married. I think you guys are the newliest married couple in the church right now. Yeah. All right. So, um, uh, yeah, you can, you can clap for that. Why not? So, um, <laughs> I'm going to behave myself at this point, all right? So, but here's the, here's the trouble with this, all right? Like, it would lead you to believe when it comes to dating and love and marriage and family It's just that simple. It's just sequential. There's just this natural easy flow and you do one and the the next one will just come right after that. But then you grew up and you discovered finding somebody where you're mutually attracted, figuring out what is love and how does this thing work, navigating the pitfalls of marriage, God, help us figuring out how to raise kids well. Like, this isn't easy. And it's not natural and sequential. It doesn't just flow and happen that way. This stuff is really difficult. It's very challenging. And I know that to be true. Because if someone comes and wants to sit down with one of our staff and talk about something, more often than not, it relates to... One of the factors that we're going to talk about in this series. They want to talk about dating and love and marriage and family. So in this series, we're going to get after this. And here's the good news of this series. When it comes to these factors, you are not on your own trying to navigate these things. The creator of these factors in our lives, God himself has spoken wisdom to you and to me and how to navigate these factors in our lives and to do so well. And so each week, we're going to take a different factor and see what kind of wisdom God has for us. Now, if you're sitting here in the room or you're watching online, you're like, well, is this for me? Is this not for me? I'll tell you who this series is for. If you're single and you don't want to remain single, this is for you. We want to help you on the front end get some of these things right. And if you're married and you want to stay married, this this is for you. We want to help you navigate the pitfalls of marriage well. And if you're not married and you're like, I don't ever want to be. Okay, whatever. All right? But this is still for you. Because listen to me. There is a single person or a married person or both who God has in your life, and he has intentionally given you influence in that person's world. And we want to put tools into your hands to help you navigate that influence well. So we're going to pray for our time in the series. We're also going to pray for Pastor James and his wife, Meredith. If you're not aware, Pastor James and Meredith had a baby recently, and Pastor James, for the month of January and February, he is on paternity leave. Now here's the deal with this. In weeks to come... James and Meredith plan on worshiping even while he's off for the next couple months. So listen to me, please. It is out of bounds to ask James about church stuff when he comes to church to work or to, to worship while he's off of work. All right. So if you've got a question about church stuff, get with somebody else on our staff, but please don't mess with Pastor James. We want to honor that time for him. So let's pray for him, our time together, and then we'll get into things. Father, just uh, thank you that you don't leave us to figure life out on our own, that you love us, that you have spoken truth to us. Father, help us please just to have minds and hearts that are open to you and to your truth. Just pray you would bless our relationships. Father, we just pray for James and Meredith that you would bless them, that you would help them. Just as they're working to figure out the the rhythms of life and family as they've added Owen to the mix. I just pray that you would help James to get rest in these next couple months. Just pray that you would help him to connect well with his son in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So again, our our rhyme starts out blank and blank sitting in a tree. K-I-S-S-I-N-G. If only dating were that simple, but dating's not that simple. Dating comes with all kinds of questions, questions like, how do I know if I'm ready to date? How do I find the right person once I've decided I am ready to date? Once I find that person, how do I get them to notice me? How do I land a date with them? Once I get them dating me, how do I keep them interested? How do I know if this thing really has legs? It's really going anywhere? And if I think they're the one, the one, the one, like, how do I get them to take this thing to the next level? Dating today comes with all kinds of questions, these and more. And in my observation, dating as time goes on, it's not getting simpler, it's getting more complicated. So what we want to do today is I want to share with you my number one piece of dating advice. If I could, there are all kinds of different strategies, ideas, good wisdom for dating. I want to share with you my number one recommendation when it comes to dating, all right? And so if you, if you, if you want to date, if you are dating, if you know somebody who's dating, this is my, my number one piece of dating advice, and it's going to be illustrated for us in the, the, the love story of a biblical couple, their, their love story is recorded for us. It's recorded for us in the book of Ruth. And the couple that we have in mind is Boaz and Ruth, for whom the book bears its name. Now, before we get into Boaz and Ruth's story, you need to get some backstory to fully understand their story. Their story, their backstory, begins with a lady named Naomi, her husband, and her two sons. They are living in Israel in a time when a famine strikes the land and they are living in Israel at a time historically where the Jewish people are not known for their faithfulness to God. They're not known for really leaning well into his directives for their lives. And so when this famine strikes, even though Naomi and her husband know as Jews we have been called to live in this land, they decide we can't trust God to provide for us in this land, we can't trust our fellow Jews to look out for us in this land, and so they leave Israel and they move to Moab. And when they get to Moab and they settle down and they put down roots, they put their roots down even further as Naomi's two adult sons marry Moabite girls, now, at some point after they get married, we don't know how long it is, tragedy strikes. Naomi's husband dies, and then both of her adult sons, they die. So now you have three widows living in a day and age where if you are a woman, this is not a good thing. And that, at, at that point in history, there were not legitimate or moral ways with, for, for a woman to provide for herself. If she wants to eat and live indoors, she is basically dependent on the adult men in her life to provide for her. Naomi knows we're in trouble. And so she's trying to figure out what she's going to do. And as she is trying to figure this out, she hears that the famine has eased up in Israel and she knows there is a system that is supposed to be in place to help women like her. And so Naomi decides, I'm going back to Israel. But before she goes, she does something very gracious for her daughters-in-law. She basically releases them from any obligation that they feel or culturally have to remain with her. She says to the girl, she's like, listen, the best thing that you could do is go back home, move into your daddy's house, live with him, land another husband. That's your best chance at love and provision and a normal life and a relationship in the future. And again, two daughter-in-laws. Daughter-in-law number one, Orpah. Look at your neighbor tell them, Orpah, not Oprah, orpah all right and then ruth and these two girls respond very differently to naomi's offer orpah's like you know what naomi you are right on the money my best chance for a normal life a husband a family is is to go back home live with daddy land another man somewhere along the line you're letting me off the hook i'm taking you up on that offer thank you so much god bless you have a good life i'm out ruth on the other hand responds very differently she Ruth responds by uttering words to Naomi that if you're familiar with the Bible you have probably heard Ruth says to Naomi don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you where you go I will go where you stay I will stay your people will be my people and your God my God where you die I will die and there I will be buried May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. See, somewhere along the line, Ruth became convinced that God of Israel really is God. The Jews really are his people. And she embraced that God in that community. And so even though she knows her best chance for a normal life is to go move back in with Daddy. Even though she knows if she sticks with Naomi, she's practically condemning herself to a life of poverty and hardship and isolation. She sticks with Naomi anyway. So back these ladies go to Israel. And when they get there, Ruth meets Boaz as Ruth is trying to provide food for herself and Naomi. Again, back in Israel, the famine has let up. And there is a system in place through the Mosaic Law, the code that's governing the Israelites' lives that's meant to provide for women like this. See, according to the Mosaic Law, if I am a field owner, I own property, when I harvest my field, I'm not supposed to harvest the corners, and I'm only supposed to go over the thing one time. I don't go over it two or three times to make sure I get everything. No, anything I missed on the first pass and the corners, I leave. And that's for the poor, the widow, the widow, the orphan, and the foreigner to collect after me to provide food for themselves. Now, Ruth is hoping, I'm going to find somebody's field who will let me do that. Because again, this is a point in their history where faithfulness to God and obedience to the law are running low. It would not be an unexpected thing for her to show up in somebody's field and to get chased off or beat down. But we're told that it turned out Almost like by chance, that she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz. Now, Boaz is done very well. He's come out of this whole famine thing and he's he's gonna go in a good place spiritually, he's in a good place relationally, he's in a good place financially. And so Ruth goes to Boaz's field to work and Boaz rolls up to his field. He's in his Escalade. He's got employees. He's got property. He gets out of the vehicle. He he gives a shout out to his guys. He's like, the Lord bless you. And they're like, no, the Lord bless you, right? And he's taking things in, surveying how everything's going in his place. And when he does, something grabs his attention and he calls his foreman over, right? He's like, hey, hey, who does that young woman belong to? If you were to translate the Hebrew loosely, he would have said something along the lines of, who is that girl? Now almost as if his foreman's a little bit nervous about having, having, having let Ruth get into the field, this is how he answers he says she is the moabite who came from moab which just sounds redundant to me but whatever right she's a moabite who came from moab with naomi she said to me please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvester. she's like boss she's been maintaining the appropriate distance she's not trying to get in with the first pass people she's getting the leftovers right she she came into the field has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Boss, she's been working hard. She isn't here looking for a handout. She isn't here entitled. She's doing her part for herself. And so Boaz, he goes to Ruth and he says this. He says, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who are working for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. He's like, listen, don't go someplace else. Not everybody's doing this right. You, you get run off. You get, you get hurt going someplace else. Stay at my place. We're going to look out for you. And hey, you see the employee break room over there? Anytime you want You go ahead and go on in there. You get a drink. Now, Ruth, this this is way better than anything she could have hoped for or expected. And so she asked Boaz, like, why are you being so good to me? And this is what he says. He says, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and you came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. He's like, listen, I know you could have taken the easy way out and just moved in with Daddy. I know you chose the harder road and came back here with Naomi. I'm just hoping that God is going to bless you and I'm not just going to talk about this stuff. Well, I have an opportunity to be an agent of that blessing, I'm going to be the agent of that blessing. So Ruth works. Lunch comes. Boaz is like, hey, come on in, have lunch with me and my employees. And after lunch, as she goes back out to work for the rest of the afternoon, he stops his people and he starts giving directions. He gave orders to his men. He says, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. In other words, hey, if she starts creeping up to the first pass line and she starts making some first pass kind of collecting, don't say anything to her. And then he says this next. He says, even pull out some of the stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. He's like, listen, if she won't make her way up into the first pass group, You guys in the first pass group, you make sure you drop some of the good stuff for her to pick up as she comes along. So Ruth is out there. She's collecting all day. And she goes home. She goes home. And when she does, her mother-in-law sees her. And Naomi kind of erupts when she sees Ruth. She says to her, Where did you clean today? Where did you work? Blessed is the man who took notice of you. In other words, girl, there is no way you got that kind of food cleaning up scraps. Who's the man whose eye you caught? And Ruth says to her, well, the man I work with today is Boaz. In fact, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they have finished harvesting all my grain. I guess I did catch somebody's eye. He invited me to work there all season long. So Ruth chapter 2 ends that way. And then in chapter 3, Ruth and Boaz go through the 11th century B.C. equivalent to passing notes in grade school. All right? Maybe you passed a note like this when you were in grade school. It said, do you like me? check yes or no. Maybe, uh, no, 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 don't give them the maybe option. No, God. This is like flashbacks of fifth grade for me, right? But both Ruth and Boaz check yes. They declare their love for each other in chapter three, and then in chapter four, they overcome the obstacles to that love, and they get married, and they have a family, and they live happily ever after. And it's more complicated than that, but by the end of the book, they find love and family and legacy. Things that so many of us are hungry for. Now how their story ends is great. But today we're going to just camp here in chapter 2 and we're going to wrestle with this question. What is it that attracted Ruth and Boaz to each other? What is it that caused them to notice one another? what is it that that caused them to be drawn to each other what is it What was a spark that lit the flame of fire that burned in their lives right what is it that attracted these two to each other now if we're going to read through chapter 2 and be intellectually honest we're going to have to admit there were some shallow factors of attraction at work that's not wrong it's just it's reality But there were also some deep and significant factors of attraction at work as well. For example, you read through the book of Ruth, regularly the text will imply that Ruth was a good looking woman. And here's the deal, for most men, physical attractiveness is one of the first things that hits their radar when they see a woman. Is it a more shallow factor of attraction? Sure it is, but it's still a factor of attraction. Ruth was pretty Boaz had to know who was that woman out in my field and here's how you know how pretty she was she had spent all morning long harvesting in the sun and still she looked good right there's a factor for him and it did not hurt Boaz and his chances with Ruth that he was well resourced because for most women one of their top factors of attraction is, can this guy provide a sense of security for me? And is that a more shallow factor? Sure it is, but it still is one. And Boaz, he is well-resourced. He can provide that sense of security. It'd be, it'd be naive of us to deny that these factors played a role in these two getting together. But the fun thing about chapter 2 is you watch Boaz and Ruth move beyond. They move from shallow factors of attraction to really deep and significant factors of attraction. See, I would argue Boaz was attracted to Ruth. Because he watched Ruth work hard all morning long. He watched her work hard all afternoon long. He He watched her come back all season long and collect food. He saw a work ethic in Ruth. And that work ethic drew him to her. Boaz was attracted to Ruth because he saw in Ruth a woman who made a commitment to God and she was going to keep that commitment no matter what. He saw faithfulness in Ruth and that faithfulness drew him to her. Boaz was attracted to Ruth because he saw a woman who was going to basically sign up for a life of hardship and poverty and isolation and do so for Naomi's sake. He saw selflessness in her, and that selflessness drew him to her. Yes, she was pretty, but her character in the end is what drew him to her. And Ruth, she was attracted to Boaz. She saw in Boaz a man who easily could have denied her access to his field. All kinds of other people were. But he didn't. She saw in him integrity. And his integrity drew her to him. And Boaz, he attracted Ruth to himself. Because he didn't just give her what he had to give her. There are the corners, you get one pass after my guys get done, whatever. No, he gave her way more than he had to. He rounded up. Ruth saw generosity in Boaz. And that generosity drew her to him. And Ruth was attracted to Boaz because Boaz talked her up to herself and to other people. She saw encouragement in him and that encouragement drew her to him. Yes, he was well-resourced, but it was Boaz's character that really caught Ruth and her eye. See, it was... Mutual attraction that was formed out of mutual character. If Ruth was hot and that was it, it wouldn't have mattered how hot she was. If she was lazy and selfish and unreliable, a man of Boaz's character wouldn't have been attracted because he wanted more than just pretty. And yeah, Boaz is loaded. But if that's all Boaz is, if he's corrupt and stingy and critical, a woman of Ruth's character wouldn't have been interested because she wanted more than just money. Ruth was attracted to Boaz because of his character, and Boaz was attracted to Ruth because of her character. Their mutual character led to mutual attraction and love, And marriage and family. So, here's my number one piece of dating advice. My number one recommendation for you if you're dating or wanna date or know somebody's dating, it's very simply this work to become the kind of person the person you're looking for is looking for. (laughs) If you're dating, you wanna date, you know somebody's dating. Number one piece of advice work to become. The kind of person, the person you're looking for, is looking for. Think about it, whether whether you're married or single, you have somebody you want in mind. What kind of person were you looking for? Who wants the lazy, unreliable, selfish person? Who wants the greedy, stingy, critical person? Nobody with good sense. No, we want the hard-working, faithful, selfless individual. We want to be with the person who has integrity and who's generous and who's encouraging. We want the person with deep character. But here's what we have to understand. The person with deep character, do you know what kind of person they're looking for? Somebody who has deep character. The person of deep character is looking for another person of deep character. If I'm going to land that person, listen, rather than worrying about finding the right person, I need to be concentrating on becoming the right person so that when the kind of person I'm looking for comes around, I'll be the kind of person that they're looking for. See, if I've truly developed my character, if I'm really working hard to be a person of character, when someone of mutual character comes around, if they truly have character, they're going to see that and they're going to be attracted to that, whether the surface attractors are there or not. However, if I fail to develop character. When that person, the kind of person I want to be with, comes around, if they're truly a person of character, they're going to sniff out my lack of character. And they're not going to be attracted, whether the surface factors are there or not. See, we, we, we like to think, I'm going to land the person who I want. What we fail to realize is. We tend to land the kind of person we already are. We don't attract who we want, we attract who we are. I've watched this work both ways. I've watched incredibly well resourced, incredibly attractive people not develop their character. And then the person, the kind of person they want to be with, comes around. And that person isn't interested, and they're left heartbroken. And instead of realizing, I've got to develop character. I need to be the kind of person the person I'm looking for is looking for. They settle for less and regret it. At the same time, I have watched people of character wait. I've watched them wait for another person of character. And when that person came around, mutual character served as a foundation for mutual attraction and love and marriage and family. I've watched mutual character carry them through difficult times and bless them in good ones. Best piece of advice I have for you if you're dating, want to date, know somebody who's dating, is work to become kind of person the person you're looking for is looking for. So as we wrap this up, I wanna give you some homework. And the homework is for single people and married people alike. And we're gonna put three questions up on the screen, but I'm gonna ask you to wrestle with four. So here's question number one. What kind of person am I looking for? Married, single, I don't care which, I'd encourage you to carve out some time this week, write out a list, be specific. What do I want? What kind of characteristics do I want the person I'm with or going to be with to have? What kind of person am I looking for? Now, once you've got that figured out, you're ready for question number two. What kind of person would the person that I'm looking for be looking for? This person of deep character that I've got in mind, what would they be looking for? Which begs the question that we're not going to have on the screen, but that question is, am I that kind of person? I want this kind, but am I the kind of person the person that I want would want? Which then takes us to question number three. If there are holes in my character game, I've got to ask myself, what can I do? to become the kind of person, the person that I'm looking for, is looking for. Single people, if you want this kind of person, you've got to be working to become this kind of person yourself. And married people, rather than sit around and be frustrated and angry and bitter that your spouse isn't this kind of person, the The best thing that you could do for your marriage is work to become this kind of person yourself. The best thing you could do for your marriage is lead in becoming a person of integrity. Because I'm telling you right now, it takes a special kind of psychopath to live in the light of somebody who is consistently developing character in their life and not be impacted by that. And I know most of you all. And most of you don't live with special kind of psychopaths. You live with good-willed people. Most of you. (laughs) So as we finish, we're going to pray. And as, as we've been having this conversation, if God's been meddling with you, and he's been putting his finger on a place in your life where character needs to be developed, and you're living a relationship with him, I, I want to invite you as we pray just to offer that up to God in your heart. Ask him to help you in that area of your life. And if, you, if you've been watching online or you're sitting in a room and you're going, hey, there's all kinds of character I need to develop. I'm not the kind of person, the person I'm looking for would be looking for, but I want to be that. I just don't think I can do that myself. Let me tell you something. You can't. None of us can a life transformed is something that God alone can do, but God would love to step into your life, to have you hand that life over to him, to find forgiveness, and to find his Holy Spirit taking up residence in you, giving you what you need to be transformed. And If you've never said yes to that, but today you're ready, again, I want to invite you to pray with me and to do just that. So let's pray, and then we'll continue in worship. Father, thank you that you love us, that you haven't left us us to ourselves, but you have spoken truth into our lives. Father, for some of us today, we know, we sense where it is you are calling us to be more like the person that we ourselves want. And so just today, between us and you and the quietness of our heart, we offer up that piece of our life to you. We invite you into that. And we just ask that in your grace that you would help us to be transformed. Father, for others of us, we, just, we need a life surrendered to you. This is where we need to begin. We just confess that we are broken, that we have sinned, And we can't be who we want to be ourselves. We need Jesus. We need his life, his death, his resurrection. We want to surrender all of who we are to you and put our faith in him. Please pour out your spirit into us and begin the process of changing who we are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.